When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, March 18th, time for episode 342 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter at Patriot's CLNS. This is the first Patriot's Beat that I've ever done without Tom Brady. It's QB1 of the NEP, and there is nobody except for Brady, Bill Belichick, or Robert Kraft, of course. I'd rather talk to on this subject than today's guest, Patriots and NFL columnist for CLNS Media, the one and only Evan Lazar. Find him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Okay, was running errands around the house on Tuesday morning when I looked down at my phone, Evan, and saw on Instagram Tom Brady's football journey would continue elsewhere. Your initial reaction? Well, right now I'm going through the stages of grief, Trags. You know, I started out shock. Fanboy. Shock and awe. It's okay. You can call me that. Shock and awe. Now I'm more in like an anger type of phase, I would say, where I'm just in disbelief that two grown men and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady could not sit down, put their differences aside, and realize that it's best to finish this thing together than apart. It just shocked me that there was so little effort on Belichick's part to make that amicable connection with Tom Brady. But Evan, what if all along both of them knew that was it? Like, I think they knew in October or November by their body language, and I know it's dangerous to do this and read into body language of anybody, especially when you're talking Bill Belichick. But when you read their body language day in and day out, and you were down there day in and day out, you had the sense this was coming down the pike, right? I mean, they were just not happy with each other. Absolutely. I mean, I sensed it was down the pike. We all tweeted, reported, wrote about the fact that this was coming to an end, right? We all wrote it. A lot of people yep. got angry at us for writing it. I'm not trying to take a victory lap. I'm just simply saying we've all been seeing this coming for a long time. I think the thing that really pushed me into the anger mode of, of the stages of grief are that Tom Brady's side was willing to work with Bill Belichick in a way that they could make this work together, it sounds like. And there was just never an olive branch reached out by Bill Belichick, kind of forced his hand a little bit here to push him out the door. And I just looking back on it, I really, truly thought I believed everything I reported. I believed everything I was hearing about Brady. But I really thought that on March, where were we on March 16th today, March 17th, on March 17th, Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady would sit down at a table and say, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to split up the band here? And they would come to an agreement together to keep this thing together. And I think that now the shell shock of the fact that that meeting never happened is truly remarkable. Yeah, I, I just was of the belief that the parties didn't want to be together. And I think it's a little bit different uh, when you take the, that factor into account in this particular equation. Um, and I just think it was time for all parties to move on. And I think they knew that um, when Tom Brady threw the pick six to Logan Ryan 
in the AFC wildcard playoff? Well, I'll give you a little story, actually. So, please do. The week before, and against Miami, the week 17 against, game against Miami, the Patriots held a padded practice on Thursday of the week of the Sunday game against the Dolphins. A very heavy contact padded practice was held. And there were a lot of players that came off the field that day, tired, worn down from the practice. It's been a long season, just kind of shaking their heads as to why they just did that. Why did they just have that practice, right? And on Sunday, the players that I spoke to about this in the, in the couple last couple of months that have opened up about this, they said they felt the impact of that Thursday practice on themselves on Sunday. It was a big part of the reason why they weren't ready to play that game. And it was described to me by one player as the end of the dynasty. That day, that decision by Bill Belichick to put them through a heavy padded practice late in the season, a couple of days before a big game, was a decision that a lot of players were not on board with and a lot of players were shocked by when they saw on the TV screen in the Gillette Stadium locker room for the Patriots, it will say pad, shells, you know, whatever, no pads, shorts and shells. When they saw pads, they were all really, really shocked. They said it was the end of the dynasty. When I heard that, I was like, all right, that's a little bit dramatic. But now we stand here again on March 17th, and at least this iteration, the Brady dynasty is over. So you know what that speaks to to me? Uh, that speaks to me that the joy factor that I keep coming back to with Tom is that I don't think it was fun for him any anymore here in New England. That's why I think primarily he's out the door. There was no joy in stepping on the football field, on the practice field, uh, or game field and uh, playing the game of football. It seemed like a grind, and I don't think he feels at the age of 43 it should be that much of a grind. It should be more read and react and trust my instincts. I mean, after all, Brady... Brady's football instincts, I think, are pretty much unparalleled in terms of quarterback play in the history of the game. It does feel a little bit like Rob Gronkowski last year. It wasn't quite as dramatic as that and wasn't as public that, you know, Gronk came out right afterwards and said, I just wasn't having fun playing football anymore. I was, I had lost a step, lost three steps, I think is the exact quote he used. And it just wasn't fun anymore. It sounds to me like Brady's relationship with Bill Belichick was very similar with Rob Gronkowski's where Gronk just wanted to do his thing and show up and play on Sundays and win football games and win championships. But the grind of the day to day and the grueling grind of dealing with Belichick eventually gets to you. And I think it finally may, might have gotten to Tom Brady now. But that said, basically everything that I heard this morning was the Patriots had a contract number that was not something that Brady approved of. And when they talked last week and Brady and Belichick had that conversation that everybody reported did not go well, the reason why it did not go well was because Belichick wouldn't move off his number. So Brady called. He tried to kind of find a middle ground with Bill Belichick to get him back in the building. And Belichick said, this is what we can do, Tom. This is the offer we can make. And if take it or leave it. And he kind of put the ball in Brady's court and Brady sort of did the, what Belichick, I truly think in his heart of hearts, I don't think Belichick thought that Brady had the guts to actually walk out the door. See, I don't know. If, I, I think Bel, uh, Belichick would make that offer almost pushing him out the door. That's the, sure. and maybe that's the way I read that. Maybe that's, 
you know, we're splitting hairs a little bit uh, here, but that's kind of the way I read that is that I think Belichick was not going to go more than one year. And I don't think he was going to go substantially more than 25 million guaranteed a year because they have other holes on the roster to fill. It was a one year, described to me as a one year, $23 million deal with an incentives package to earn more. Right. That so sounds about what I heard. Yeah. So essentially the same deal that he played on last year. Right. Last year was fully $23 million guaranteed, no incentive. So this one did have, I think he could have gotten up to about $28 million with not likely to be earned incentives. So that means they wouldn't hit the 2020 cap. They'd hit the 2021 cap. And we're getting into some of the cap minutiae now. But if you make the incentives not likely to be earned, you can save the, the space in the, in the short term of the contract. So I think he could have made up to $28 million bucks a year, but his starting base was $23 million and it was only for the one season. And that was just from a tangible standpoint, that was definitely the biggest issue standing in the way of Brady and Belichick was that Brady had this feeling that he was a lame duck here, that just like Peyton Manning in Indianapolis or Joe Montana in San Fran or Brett Favre in Green Bay, that eventually Bill Belichick was going to draft or trade or sign for a quarterback that was younger and the next guy, so to speak, maybe it was Jared Stidham, once they found that next guy, that Belichick would be more than happy to push Brady out the door. And Brady instead said, I'm going to make the decision for you, and I'm just going to leave on my own accord. Okay. Tampa Bay, Miami, Chargers or Raiders? Now, as we speak here on um, – as we record this, um, the Chargers look like they're out. So the Tom Brady market is essentially down – to Tampa Bay, and if you believe the rumors, the dark rumors, uh, that uh, the Miami Dolphins could be a dark horse in this, um, it could be down to really even two teams after um, Philip Rivers signed with the Colts a one-year deal on Tuesday. Exactly. I believe that the Dolphins are essentially out. I think that that was two things. One, it was respect for Brian Flores to at least hear him out, right, hear out a pitch from Tom Brady's end because – from a coaching standpoint, that was, I think, the coach that Brady trusted the most, maybe, out of the suitors, right, out of the teams that were actually going to offer him a contract. That was the coach that he had the most familiarity with, the coach that he maybe trusted the most that wasn't a Kyle Shanahan or a Mike Frable because those two teams were out early on in the process, I would say. So the biggest thing for Brady right now is obviously a team that can win. I think a coaching staff that he can trust and that he can lean on is an important kind of you know, part of this entire equation. And obviously location is going to play a factor with his family and being a place his family wants to live and being close to all of his family is certainly important to him as well. So you add up all those factors and although Southern California would be intriguing for the marketing and for the branding standpoint, and it is on the West coast, which is closer to his San Fran family, it seems like he does want to be more East Coast if possible. So I'm really leaning towards Tampa Bay pretty heavily here. I think that they offer a lot of intriguing qualities. A three-time Pro Bowl receiver in Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who's on the up and up, uh, two pass-catching tight ends, and Bruce Arians, who's a much different character than Bill Belichick, right? Bruce Arians is going to tell Brady, show up when you want to show up, do what you want to do, you do your TV 12 thing, 
come to practice, get ready to play with the team for Sundays, and we're going to do the Tom Brady thing down here in Tampa Bay. And Bruce Arians is a laid-back dude. He's not going to grill Brady. He's not going to do the things that Bill Belichick did. And he's just going to maybe make it a little bit more enjoyable, which is what we've been talking about this entire time. Jared Stidham, how ready is he? That's the question of the day, I think, for the Patriots moving forward. I'm hesitant on this one because, listen, I've talked to players. I've talked to people in the building. Everybody tells me the same thing that they probably are telling you. They love the kid. They think he's going to be great. He's Every time he steps on the practice field, he plays well. He played well in the preseason. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope that he can be a starting quarterback. The biggest hesitation that I have with making Stidham the starter immediately in 2020 is not ruining his career because if he's not ready to start, then it can really snowball. It can really be a bad thing, a detriment to his long-term future if you throw him out there before he's prepared to be out there. So everybody that's saying just throw Stidham out there, it doesn't really matter if he's good, then we have a quarterback. If he sucks, then we're going to get the first pick and we can move on and get the next guy. That sounds all well and good, but the issue is is that if you really want to invest long-term in Stidham's development, you cannot throw that guy out there before he's ready because very few quarterbacks recover from a bad start to their career. Look at guys, you know, like extreme examples, like a David Carr, for example, right? He gets out there on the field. He gets killed behind a bad offensive line, and his career is basically over. And you just, I, that's an extreme, but I just want to be cautious of putting Jared Stidham out there before he's truly ready to play. And I know Bill Belichick is not going to do that either. So that leans me toward them finding some sort of a veteran to be the bridge, right? Whether it's a bridge for four to six games at the beginning of the season before they turn the keys over for Stidham, uh, a year bridge, whatever the case may be, just find a guy that at least can be that guy in case Stidham is not ready week one. Speaking with the one and only Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots in the NFL for CLNS Media. With currently no NBA, NHL, XFL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, and many more. If you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee. Yes, the spelling bee, Evan. And even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. That'll, of course, be on July 4th. Be sure to use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. All right, back with Evan Lazar of CLNS Media. Uh, if Jarrett Stidham is not ready to go as the starter, you think the Patriots have to trade for a guy like Andy Dalton? Well, I've been on the Dalton, not on the Dalton train personally, but saying that that's a real possibility. But I spoke to somebody this afternoon that's telling me I'm thinking to the contracts are too much money. The Patriots don't have the cap space readily available to bring in a a contract as heavy as Andy Dalton or as heavy as a Nick Foles or something like that. And they might be thinking a little bit more small potatoes than that as a guy that can come in and push Jared Stidham. But still, I think the Dalton thing is a real possibility. It's just a guy that makes a whole lot of sense contractually. $17.5 million sounds like a lot, but in today's quarterback climate, I mean, Phillip Rivers just got $30 million. Brady's going to get somewhere around $30 million. Dak Prescott 
Westcott, when he finally signs a long-term deal, is going to be closer to 35. 17 and a half is the going rate for a below average but NFL starting caliber quarterback, which is exactly what Andy Dalton is. So I think it's a fair price. There's no dead money on his contract. They can walk away for it from nothing at any point when after they acquire him. But all these talks about guys like Derek Carr or Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, I, I think they're all going to be too expensive for the Patriots, and they're going to have to find a way to figure out a player that they can afford. I don't think the Taysom Hill thing is that real. The, there's a Nick Foles rumor out there as well that I, I think that it's kind of in the same camp as Dalton. So I would put Dalton, i put Foles on the board, but I think that there's a name out there that's even lesser down the – pecking order that's going to make even less money than those guys that we're not necessarily talking about that might end up being the guy. But you don't have that name at the tip of your tongue now. It's just somebody who could be out there that we're not thinking of. Exactly. I think the biggest, the two guys that I keep coming back to are one, I know this is going to be funny, but Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami. Oh, sure. That, he was Danny. a name. Yeah. He was a name, Evan, that was thrown out there is, you know, replacing 143 replacing a 43 year old with a 41 year old right correct so Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect Mr. Volatile right you could have him you could bring him in here and he could be an absolute abject disaster or you could bring him in here and he could actually lead your team to a decent record right you know we've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick have spurts of play where he's surprisingly good on an NFL field so that's potentially a spot I think that they could look the Miami Dolphins are, have Josh Rosen, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, both under contract, and they probably are going to draft a quarterback in the first round. So something has to give with their quarterback depth chart. So I could see Fitzpatrick coming available. I wouldn't sleep on Jameis Winston if the price stays down because right now Jameis's market is not that that robust. Early projections going into free agency were that Jameis was going to make close to $30 million a year on the open market. I don't think he's going to touch that. So if you look at kind of like what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill last year, heavy incentives-based contract, low base salary, not a huge cap hit, and kind of a spot where Jameis can come in, compete for the starting job, and hopefully restart, rejump his career, that's the thing I would be open to as well as long as the money doesn't get crazy. All right, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andy Dalton, or Jarrett Stidham, the offensive line got a lot better with the Patriots tagging boy. Joe Tooney oh on. Don't you agree? I mean, it's, a, it's a big, big deal tagging him. We probably should have seen this Brady thing coming based off of the moves that the Patriots made over the weekend and on Monday because they tied up a lot of money in Devin McCourty and Joe Tooney, right? Just two contracts that they yes. tied up a lot of their cap space in kind of showed us that maybe that cap space, they weren't saving it for Brady all that much. But that said, Tooney is just a consummate Patriot. The guy's never injured. He's always on the field. He's extremely consistent week to week. He's a hard worker, great football IQ, fantastic player, one of the best pass-protecting guards in the NFL, one of the best guards overall in the NFL. Homegrown, has developed from a third-round pick into a all-pro caliber guard. He's the type of guy that you want to keep around. You know, he's the type of guy that you built with from the ground up. You established him as an NFL player, and you've really turned him into a fantastic offensive lineman. So I'm not surprised that the Patriots really placed a high value on Joe Tooney and wanted to prioritize keeping him. I think the tag was surprising for a lot of people just based off of the salary implications of that. But at the same time, he is – 
everything the Patriots embody in terms of a homegrown third round pick turns into an all pro player. That's exactly that's Patriot way through and through. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great move by the Patriots because, look, you're losing Dante Skarnecchia, right? He's gone, and you're not going to have Tom Brady back there. You want some stability in the trenches, and I think, obviously, you have Shaq Mason, and now you have Joe Tooney returning. Um, I think that's a, a – and, you, you know, presumably, okay, uh, David Andrews is going to recover and be back. If you get those three back, that's quite the core. Exactly, and – I think we're talking a ton about the quarterbacks that might replace Tom Brady and rightfully so, but not talking enough about the fact that they have a lot of work to do on the rest of the offensive roster. So whoever's under center, whether it was going to be Brady or Stidham or Fitzpatrick or Winston or whatever quarterback you want to use, they need to get better at the offensive skill positions. We knew that going into the off season, whether Brady was the guy or not and whoever the next guy is, it's going to take a little bit of a, they're going to have to get a better roster around that guy. They're going to have to build this roster up. And I think keeping Tooney, keeping him in place, and keeping Devin McCourty on the defensive side of the ball in place, as like Ben Noy and Jamie Collins moving on, those guys are building block pieces on those sides of the ball that can usher in a locker room that's going to be a little bit uncertain about exactly what's going to happen without Tom Brady in the building. So I think those are really important signings all around that the Patriots made those three pillars, Slater, McCourty, and Joe Tooney priorities. I think the real work is now going to begin for the Patriots, even outside of the quarterback position. They need to get the next guy some help on this roster because Brady couldn't elevate the team last year in 2019 with the receivers that he had out there. What makes you think that Jared Stidham is going to be able to do anything better or even close to as good as what Brady did last year, which wasn't good enough? All right, uh, we're moving on to uh, league-wide perspective, and the biggest news, of course, would be the CBA getting uh, ratified what is your biggest takeaway? I mean, the players can't complain anymore. This was their one shot to get it right, and did they? The biggest takeaway for me is that the owners have the players over a barrel when it comes to these negotiations. But why? The I don't get that, Evan. I don't. There's just not enough. There's not enough strength in that players' union. That's really oh, what it comes down that's to. That's awful. And you got and you got guys taking to Twitter and voicing their own personal opinions on social media. And, and it's everybody, there's so much disconnect on the player side that when you look at what the owners were presenting to them, the 17 game schedule, all this type of stuff, the players knew no matter what negotiation tactic they used, they were going to play 17 games, whether it was this CBA, the next CBA, it really, it was, it didn't matter. The 17 game thing was happening, whether they liked it or not. So they kind of accepted that fate. But the other stuff, the stuff about, you know, some of the, the health stuff, healthcare stuff and the rules that they have and regulations in place for retired players, current players, it's all not good for the players. It all is not good. So I, I think that that's the biggest thing is that unity and the importance of having a strong union really shows out. I mean, the MLB, for example, has a great players association, a great players union. One of the best There's unions no in America. To- there's no way the MLB players union would have accepted this deal. They no. would have laughed in the owner's face if they saw this deal on paper. The NFL union just doesn't have 
have the continuity that an MLB players union does to stand up to the ownership. So basically all the big ticket items, 17 games, you know, healthcare for players that are retired. Uh, basically the only thing that players got out of this was that they're no longer going to be suspended for marijuana products. That was like the big win big that they got. I mean, uh, you know, what's interesting to me, a couple of things. First of all, I think uh, coronavirus played a factor in that the uncertainty over all sports in general uh, and collective bargaining agreements and deals between owners and players given um, the uncertainty of revenues going forward, uh, when will sports start back up? I think that played a factor, and I think the fact that uh, the players thought it was in their best interest to get this deal done before the owners said, no, we're not going to negotiate through uh, the next season. It should have been just the opposite. The players should be the ones telling the owners, once um, you know the new season begins, we're not going to negotiate, and then it's up to you. you know, you're the ones over the barrel over a new TV deal because the TV networks are the ones calling on the owners to come – through with a new deal, right? That was the leverage for the players, was this new TV deal coming up and the fact that there's no games without the players, right? So the leverage that they had was we're not going to play and you're not going to be able to get your new TV deal signed. But unfortunately, I agree 100% with you that the coronavirus played a major factor in this entire process. One, they really wanted to fast-track the thing because they knew that travel was going to be restricted at some point this week, so they knew that if they had to go to another vote or if they had to go to another negotiation, it was going to be tough to get everybody around the table to in order to have those types of conversations in the middle of the crisis. The second thing is we're talking a lot about next season. Right now, we're not even 100% certain the season's going to start on time. So there's just a lot of uncertainty with all this type of stuff because of the corona. So I definitely agree that that was a big factor. But the leverage that the players had was to fall back on the fact that the owners really badly want to get this TV deal done. And with 17 games, with 14 playoff teams, with all these different parameters to, you know, spike up those TV deals that they're going to get from the networks. And that was their leverage. And they just don't have the unity to fight with that leverage. They don't have the unity to stand up to these owners and use their leverage properly, and it's what got them in this position. So basically they just accepted the fact that the 17 games were inevitable. They accepted the fact that they couldn't really collectively bargain a better system of healthcare and post-playing healthcare, and we're at where we're at. So hopefully 10 years from now, the players do a better job than the players did now. The players now, though, there are one thing I will say is that the star players kind of got screwed a little bit by the 17th game because of the cap. So basically there's a cap on how many, how much money you can make on a game day check for that 17th game. I believe it's 250000 or $200,000, yes. which is way less, way less than what like a guy, like a Tom Brady would make on a Sunday, right? Just significantly less. But the guys in the middle class and on the lower ends of the roster, this deal isn't terrible for those types of guys. You know, the 58-third guy on the roster, it's not a horrible deal for that player. Are you uh, practicing social distancing, and uh, are you uh, A-OK? I'm A-OK, and I'm definitely practicing social distancing. And I think I just can't stress enough how everybody should – because we're all huge football fans here. And what I just said about how the season might not start on time if we're not careful is extremely real. The likelihood that they're going to be able to get the season started 
on time and training camp and mini camp and all those things to hit those boxes, hit those check marks with the way that we're trending right now as a country is not very high. So if you want football next fall, then you need to start taking this seriously. Preach, preach, preach. I can't blame you there, Evan. Uh, well, I want you to take care of yourself. It's always great hearing from you. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our terrific guest, Evan Lazar from clnsmedia.com. Of course, follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Also want to thank our great sponsor, Bet Online. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.